Have you ever gone through a season of doubt? A period of time that was most likely brought on by some difficult circumstance where you questioned your faith, where you questioned Jesus, you questioned God, where God's presence could not be experienced or felt. Maybe you questioned his goodness. Maybe you questioned his existence. Elisa Childers, who is a Christian podcast host, shares about her season of doubt. And she says this, For me, doubt was an entirely new concept. Growing up, I watched God's power at work in people's lives and in my own life. I knew God was real. I knew that Jesus died for my sins, was resurrected, and was coming again. I knew the Bible was his word, and I couldn't be convinced otherwise. I was active in youth group. I went on mission trips. I emerged as a leader in the faith. I was the kid that nobody worried about. I was just fine. But then in my early 30s, I wasn't fine anymore. I had just spent four months enduring the skepticism and intellectual attack of an agnostic pastor. He invited me to be part of a church study group, a pastor who won my respect, who won my trust, and who had dismantled my faith one belief at a time. I think we see that doubt can sneak upon any of us, can it? It can come to the people that we least expect it, and it can come at a time in which we least expect it. We can all and will all experience doubt at one time or another, and it can do two things. It can either strengthen our faith or it can ruin it. Years ago when I knew everything, I would have been much, much harder on Thomas in this passage I would have sat, stood up here, I would have said, don't be a Thomas. Don't be a doubter. Jesus doesn't want doubters in his congregation, in his flock. You're, you're a disease to other people when you doubt. And then you experience it for yourself, don't you? I've gone through my own periods of doubt. Now, what is happening to Thomas is, is not commended, but neither, it is, neither is it condemned. Doubt is definitely not a virtue like some church pastors want to make it out to be. However, you and I are probably going to experience it, if not already have. And I know if I were to go through a period, I would want to be treated kind of just like Thomas, with grace, mercy, and compassion. We're going to look at three aspects. I'm going to read the passage first, and then we're going to... We're going to dive into this story of doubting Thomas. So let me read the passage and then we'll, we'll get started here. But Thomas, so starting in verse 24, but Thomas was one of the twelve, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, 
we, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger, see my hands, and reach here with your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen, right? Three aspects as we're going to look at this passage. The first one, doubters, or when we are in doubt, we begin to look for signs. We want some sort of external, empirical evidence to help us in our faith. That's exactly what Thomas is demanding. He will not believe, he will not move forward in faith unless God does something for him, gives him his own personal Revelation of the risen Christ. Guy tells a story about a time when he was struggling in a, in a teaching ministry that he believed God had called him to. And he says this, While I was sitting on my balcony one morning reading my Bible, the place where we were staying, I made a deal with God. I, I was not haughty, I was just heartbroken and desperate. I told him that if I were to continue teaching, he would have to convince me that he called me to be a teacher, because right then I could not do it anymore. So what did I do? I put out my fleece. I needed two students to write me a note thanking me for helping them. Now, I lived in a small town, and I would frequently run into students, and they would talk to me. However, that didn't count. They had to be letters, they had to be written, they had to be sent to me. The prayer was on a Saturday, and I needed the letters by Wednesday of next week. So not only, okay, so not only is he telling God needs two letters, can't be a conversation, but now he's put God on his own little timeline. Lord, if you don't do this by Wednesday, I'm going to quit my job. So what happened? What do you think happened? Do you think God answered his prayer? He did. Two letters were written to him, thanking him, and they were, one of them was from a girl that he seldom heard from, and they were received by Wednesday. All right, good, right? Good faith. Now he's going to move forward in faith. He's going to grow in, in, in maturity as a disciple of Christ. Uh-uh. Folks, and we got to understand the situation that is happening here with Thomas and the situation that happened with this man too. This man was was heartbroken. He was desperate, right? We all get in those situations. We begin to question what God is doing in our life. So what do we do? We put out our, our fleece and we say, all right, God, here I am. I've been doing all this wonderful stuff for you and you're not showing me anything. 
I'm not going to move any further unless you do this in my life, unless you show me you want me to be here. I'm not budging. That's what Thomas is saying. But we have to understand the circumstance, right? This has been a hard time for Thomas, just like it was for this man. He just lost his best friend. He gave three years of his life to Jesus Christ. He's following Jesus, pours his life into him, dedicates himself to him, and now Jesus is gone, and here's his disciples. So he's, he's grieving, he's in pain, he's in turmoil. Remember when Jesus said that he was leaving and you knew the way that, in which I was going? Thomas said, wait a second, we don't, where are you going? We don't know how to get there if we don't know where you're going. Thomas cared about Jesus. He didn't want Jesus to leave, so he's, he was hurt. And now he's like, now you're telling me he's alive? I'm not, I'm not getting into that again. No, no, no. This time I'm protecting myself. I'm protecting my heart. I've already been hurt. Not unless I see him. I want to see him. That's when I'm going to believe. And I'm sure that we've all been there. But this is an immature faith. That's exactly what it is. God wants our faith, not our fleece. This is actually... This is the opposite of faith. Our faith should not be dependent upon personal experience. Our faith should not be dependent upon some sort of special revelation that God gives us. Our faith should not be dependent upon our feelings, our emotions, and our circumstances. Amen? Our faith depends on the person of Jesus Christ. Our faith depends on the revelation that God has given us in his word. The same thing that happened to Gideon is the same thing kind of that's happening to Thomas. Gideon lays out his fleece. Did Gideon speak to the Lord beforehand? Yes. Did the Lord tell him what he wanted him to do? Absolutely. What did Gideon do? Well, I want to make sure. I'm going to put out my fleece. Thomas heard the word from the disciples. We have seen the risen Lord. Thomas is not believing the word. And therefore, he's asking God for some sort of special revelation. Continuing to doubt God and asking him to reveal himself in ways other than he has already provided and ways in which we already know is not going to grow us in our faith. Thomas obviously did not memorize Hebrews 11.1. 1. It wasn't written yet. What, what, is, what is faith? Is faith looking for signs and then moving forward? No. Faith takes God at his word. Faith is the, and I love the King James Version of that, is the substance. It is the very material of the things that are hoped for, meaning they exist, it's real. And it is the evidence of the things that are not seen. If we're basing our Christianity off of special signs, we are not really walking in faith. And we will remain immature disciples of Jesus Christ. Think about it. Thomas is really putting a lot on the line here, isn't he? Here the disciples are telling him Jesus is risen. This is, this is really crucial and important. 
That man who, in our illustration, just put his job on the line, but Thomas is putting a lot more on the line than that. And if you're, if you're in this congregation today, maybe, you, maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you're like Thomas. And, and maybe you haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ yet, and, you, and all you want is more and more and more signs. God needs to do this. God needs to do this. Be very, very careful. Because our tendency is to move more towards doubt and away from God than it is towards Him. Be very, very careful. Faith more moves forward on the existing evidence that we have in God's Word. It trusts His Word and it trusts in Him. And it is when we do this that we will grow and God actually reveals Himself to us. It's not until we put our foot in the water. It wasn't until the Israelites put their toe in the Jordan and that's when it parted. Asking God to do all these signs before you move forward is not faith. I remember I heard of a church planner, and they were telling me the story about how they knew God was calling them to a certain area. Do you know how they knew God was calling them to a certain area? They saw a little picture on a quilt. Okay. I mean, so it was a picture of a lighthouse. I'm thinking, well, what if it was a picture of like a stop sign? What if it was a picture of, I mean, would you then think that God was telling you not to move forward? And I understand that. We all do it at times, don't we? I've done it. Lord, I want to see you working in my life. Lord, I'm, I'm starting to question, you know, what, what, you've, what you've told me, what you've called me to. Lord, can you show me something? But that's not faith. That's depending on sight. Maybe you've listened to these sermons in John and you're still having a hard time trusting in Jesus. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad for the next point. Jesus meets us in our doubts. Verses 26 through 28. So the Lord appears to Thomas after eight days and he says, peace be with you. And then he actually gives Thomas what he demands. In his book, Stories for the Journey, William White shares the story of Hans, who was a European seminary professor who was absolutely devastated by the death of his wife. Hans was so overcome with sorrow that he lost his appetite, wouldn't leave his house. Out of concern, the president of the seminary, along with three other professors, paid Hans a visit. The grieving professor confessed that he was struggling with doubt. He said, I'm no longer able to pray to God. Matter of fact, I don't think I believe in him anymore. After a moment of silence, the president said, it's okay. We're going to believe for you and we will pray for you. Four men continued to meet daily for prayer, asking God to restore the gift of faith to him. Several months later, they gathered one day, and Hans said, Today, I would like to, for you to pray with me. Support is probably one of the most important aspects that a person can have during a time of doubt. 
Not condemnation, not guilt, but support. Support from you and I, but primarily support from God. And that's exactly what Jesus does. But I want you to see something first. How long does he make them wait? Eight days. Eight days. Is that a long time when your soul is in turmoil? Is it a long time when you're in a state of confusion and questioning God? Is, is, a week's a long time. And, and I, I think Jesus does this intentionally because Jesus did it before, didn't he? When did he wait with his disciples when Lazarus got sick? And you remember, he hears the news. He doesn't rush there right away. And he actually just hangs out and waits. And then when he comes... Mary and Martha are like, oh, where have you been? Why didn't you just show up? Well, what was his goal there? His goal was to build their faith. And that's exactly, I think, why he is making Thomas wait during this time. Whenever you and I are in a period of struggle and a period of suffering, we always want immediate relief. That's not how God strengthens our faith. That's not how he operates. It is during this period of silence, this period of waiting, that he is actually growing us. He's growing us and he's, he's helping us trust in him more. You can imagine, Thomas might be getting a little worried. Well, maybe I never should have said that. I don't, I don't, he's not coming. But the disciples are around him. The disciples have been talking to him. Do you think they're trying to convince him? Absolutely. So now the church that Jesus Christ is forming is actually doing what it needs to be doing during this time. Coming around Thomas, trying to convince him, trying to build him up. And one, think about it. If every time I cry out to God, Lord, I just need you to show me something. Lord, I'm really struggling right now. And all of a sudden Jesus does something in my life. Is that going to help my faith? No. I'm going to be dependent upon those signs. And when those things don't happen anymore, then I'm going to be like, oh, he left me. Oh, he's abandoned me. He doesn't want Thomas to depend on those things. He is making him wait in order to grow his faith. And he knows exactly what he's going through. Many times in history, this period has been called the dark night of the soul. It is a period when God's absence is palpable. A time of doubt, a time of depression, and a time of despair when we don't see God working in our lives. And we begin to doubt. We begin to question His goodness. We begin to question His love for us. But it's during this period of time that He is actually strengthening our faith in Him. Circumstances cannot dictate our faith in Jesus Christ. And he allows pain and suffering, trials and turmoil and doubts to come into our life in order to strengthen our faith. And he knows what we're going through. Notice he comes right in and again gives a greeting that we all need during this time. 
when you're in doubt, when you're struggling, how does your soul feel? I know that's a subjective question. Are you at peace or are you in turmoil? Right, you're in turmoil. You're, 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 you're going to and fro. You're, you're not consistent. You're not content. You're just wondering what God is doing in your life. And the first thing he says is, peace be with you. Thomas, especially you, you need to, you need to settle down your heart right now, brother. God wants us to have his peace. He doesn't want us to be in confusion. And Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. Because the first thing he does is he goes right to Thomas. And what does he do? He, he actually gives him what he asked for. Did he need to do that? Did he have to do that? Why did, why did he do that? Does, does Thomas have a right? Do, we, do you and I have a right to demand of God? No. Has he given us enough evidence? Yes. Why did he do that? I'll tell you why he did it. It's the same reason that he has those scars all over him. It's because he loves Thomas, doesn't he? Thomas is this sheep who has gone astray or wandered off. He's, he's alone. He's worried. And what does the faithful shepherd do? Does the faithful shepherd say, no, no, let him, let him figure it out for himself. No, the faithful shepherd chases after the one who's gone astray. And he says, hey, look, look, it's me. Do you remember? This is how much I love you. Isn't this enough? And he does that for each one of us, doesn't he? And he's not just revealing himself to Thomas. He's revealing himself to each and every one of us here today. And he says, look, here I am. Look at my scars. This is how much I love you. And because of this, because I am alive, I will never forsake you. Don't doubt. Just believe. Having technical difficulties. Where is this wire? There it is. And he's reminding him of who he is and what he's done for him. God draws us out of his doubt reminding us of the love that he has for us in Jesus Christ. That's how he does it. And he says to Thomas, look, you could go ahead. Go ahead, touch my hands. Put your hand in my side. And he calls Thomas to believe, not in a theory, not in a myth, not in a legend, not in a doctrinal statement, but he calls him to believe in the person of Jesus Christ. He calls him to believe in himself. That's who our faith is in. It's in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He's alive. And because he lives, you and I will live and because he lives, even though our circumstances may 
make us question his love for us. We can go back to this passage. We can go back to what he did for us on the cross. And we can see him standing there say, look, here I am. I love you. Believe. Stop doubting. If he's defeated death, can we not trust him with our entire lives? And he moves Thomas from doubt to declaration. My Lord and my God. Does Thomas, does Thomas do what he asked Jesus for? Does he do it? It doesn't appear like he does it, does he? <laughs> Thomas just makes the statement or declares, my Lord and my God. Thomas said it's enough. What a statement. My Lord and my God. He affirms the person of Christ as God and as Lord, wholly submitting and trusting to Him. He moves Him from doubt to declaration. It is this process in which disciples are matured. He wants to move us from beyond these demanding of signs or needing them to declaring and trusting in who He is. My Lord and my God, whatever you're going through in your life, whatever trial or suffering, my Lord and my God. He is Lord of all. He is eternal. He is infinite in power. And He lives. My Lord and my God. It is a statement of faith, it is a statement of trust, and it is a statement that leads to a blessed and satisfied life. Aspect number three, faith leads to a blessed life. Verse 29, and Jesus says to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. One of the first things that we need to cover here is what does it mean to be blessed? Because I think we automatically think of things like that. Costi Hinn, who was the, uh, the niece of, of Benny Hinn, famous televangelist, tells this story. She says, growing up in the Hinn family, our lifestyle was lavish. Our version of the gospel was big business. God's goal was not to set us free from sin, but to make us rich. We lived in a 10,000 square foot mansion, 10,000 square feet. I don't have 10,000 square feet. I don't even think I've been in a place of 10,000 square feet. She, they drove two Mercedes-Benz vehicles. They vacationed in exotic destinations shopped at the most expensive stores, we were abundantly blessed. Doubts would surface, sure, but we just put them aside. Despite my questions, I trusted my family because we were so successful. Millions packed stadiums annually to hear my uncle. We healed the sick, we performed miracles, we rubbed elbows with celebrities, and we got incredibly wealthy. 
God must be on our side. Amen, right? No. <laughs> Here, here's some interesting t- statistics. I hope this is not folks in our church, but among American evangelical uh, beliefs, those who attend a Protestant church monthly or more, 75% agree, 75% evangelical Protestants that attend church at least once a month, they agree, quote, that God wants me to prosper financially. 41% agree that their church teaches if I give more money to God, He's going to bless me in return. 26% agreed that in order to receive material blessings, I have to do something for God. Folks, that's not true. And I, I hope and pray we never, ever, ever think things like that. That is not what Jesus Christ means by a blessed life. As a matter of fact, God may want you poor, and that's okay. Because like Paul says in Ephesians, You and I have all the blessings that we need, and all those blessings are found in the person of Jesus Christ, and those blessings are a spiritual blessing. Amen? We have everything we need in Jesus Christ. With Jesus Christ, you and I can be absolutely content no matter what is happening around us. That is the blessing of faith. And those blessings are not temporal blessings. Those blessings will go on for all eternity. And faith and those blessings have a very practical outworking in our life. Let me ask you something. When you're going through doubt, we just talked about this, are you satisfied in life? No. Are you you content? When you're in the period of turmoil, questioning God, questioning His goodness, questioning His existence, do you have stability? No. Is that a blessing? Absolutely not. Listen to what James Boyce says here. Jesus is not speaking of a subjective faith here, but a satisfied faith. He is speaking of a faith that is satisfied with what God provides, the evidence, and is therefore not always yearning for all of these visions, all of these miracles or esoteric experiences or various forms of success as evidence of God's favor. More than that, he is saying a faith that is not based on these things is not inferior but actually superior to a faith that is. Amen? If you're constantly yearning for visions, if you're constantly in doubting God, you're not content. You're not satisfied with who He is and how He has revealed Himself. As a matter of fact, listen to what James says about doubt and what it's like in our souls. Doubt, when you, when you, you ask, you must believe not doubt, because the one who doubts is like someone who is like a wave of the sea, blown, tossed by the wind. If you're constantly relying on all these feelings and emotions and experiences, this is what you're doing in life. You're just going all over the place. There's no stability. There's no consistency. There's no satisfaction. 
Faith is what is the conduit to it to which we believe in Jesus Christ and we enter into the blessings that God has for us. The blessings of faith begin here and they will go on for all eternity. When you and I act in faith, isn't that when we begin to see God work in our lives? We want Him to do something ahead of time before we move forward in faith. That's not the way it works. And it's those, when, when we act in faith, when we move forward on the promises of God, then we begin to see him operate, then we begin to see him work, and we're encouraged in that motion, in that action, and we do what? We move forward even more. But as soon as struggles and trials come along, then we, we tend to begin to look for these signs again. He wants us to have a consistent faith, and he wants us to have a life of blessing one that realizes the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ and one that realizes that we can be satisfied or, or ones that, one that can be satisfied in what he has already revealed to us. Faith is how we enter into God's kingdom and become his children. And faith is how one day you and I are going to participate in the resurrection of the dead. Faith leads to a life of spiritual satisfaction as you and I trust and fellowship with Jesus Christ and feed on him. Read Hebrews 10. Right? The, hall, the hall of faith. All of these people did all of these things by faith. Why? Because they looked for a city that cannot be seen with the eyes and they said we are aliens and strangers in this world. We're going to move forward. We're going to trust in God's promises. And then how does the author of Hebrews conclude that entire, entire passage? He says, fix your eyes on who? Jesus Christ, the author and protector perfecter of your faith so that you can endure, so that you can persevere. He is the object of our faith, the one who will help with our doubts, and there is no better way to remind ourselves. Oh, and, and again, I'm sorry, missed, missed point right here. When we talk about doubt, Isaiah 26 says this, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast. Why? Because they trust in you. Doubt throws us into confusion. Jesus offers his peace when we trust in him. And there is no better way to remind ourselves of these truths than right here. Notice how John concludes this part. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, John is specifically talking about this gospel and specifically addressing the problem that Thomas has. But how, how can you and I stay out of doubt? By staying in God's word. Staying in God's word is going to help you stay out of doubt. Here, here's the evidence, right? We've been doing it for the past, I don't know, 35, maybe 40 minutes now. It might be going a little long. But th this is what we're doing. We're encouraging ourselves by reading God's Word. God is ministering to us through His Holy Spirit. We're being encouraged. We're being reminded. We're being presented with the evidence. And we're meeting with who? Jesus. What better place? 
if this is the only time that you are digging into God's word, guess what? You might be experiencing doubt in your life sometime. If you're only getting God's word on a Sunday morning, folks, that's, that's not a good pattern of behavior. God's word is going to help you stay out of doubt. And it's one perfect place in which we can meet with Jesus Christ. Doubt is probably going to come upon us. What are you going to do when it does? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Lord, we know that we will all go through these periods of time. We ask that you would strengthen us during that time. Lord, I pray for those who may be going through that right now. Lord, I pray that you encourage them. I pray that you meet with them. pray that you draw them out of their doubt into fellowship with you. And I pray that they can move forward in faith. Lord, living in this world, we're going to be filled with trials and suffering and turmoil. Pray that you give us the peace that we need in our hearts as we trust in you. Be with us now as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.